This is East Screen, West Screen with Paul and Kevin, where if films were food, they'd be full of it. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to another edition of East Screen, West Screen. This is episode 31 for Wednesday, June 16th, 2010. I am Paul Fox, and joining me as always is my friend and co-host, Mr. Kevin Ma. Who are everybody? How are you doing, Kevin? I'm all right, Paul. How about you? Yeah, pretty good, pretty good. So we're actually having a holiday today. Uh, we're still diligently working to reproduce our podcast, even though everybody is off dragon boating or dragon balling or doing something regarding dragons. Dragon balling sounds kind of wrong, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, unless, we, unless it's some kind of pimp, pimp dragon who is going out to Lang Kui Fong or something. Could be, could be. Yeah, we'll, we'll try and keep this a family-friendly friend, show so we don't have to switch over to the explicit tag over on iTunes. Um, but did you do anything special today at all, Kevin? I mean, I know a lot of people are going out to watch Dragon Boat festivals and sort of enjoy the day off. Did you have any uh, any exciting events planned, or did you just kind of relax? Oh, I kind of just relaxed, um, hung out at home for a little bit, and then watched uh, The Green Zone the, from director Paul Greengrass with Matt Damon. Uh, I quite enjoyed it. Uh, it was a quite a good action film, although I have my my complaints about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we'll probably talk about that on our next episode next week then. Yep. Um, but uh, if you're just joining us for the first time, this is the program where we talk about movies from Hong Kong to Hollywood and all kinds of stuff in between. So without further ado, let's jump into our news for our East Screen this week. So our first bit of news is something about a Chinese dating show. Is that correct, Kevin? Yeah, um, Chinese dating shows are kind of coming back uh, on on Chinese TV. Um, it was it was uh, kind of a thing during the '90s where um, people would go on to dating shows to find their match. Uh, apparently, in a country of um, a billion people, it's kind of hard to find. Even then, it's kind of hard to find the one you love. So uh, there's a kind of a new trend on TV, and that's uh, these kind of dating shows. Um, it started with uh, Hunan TV. Uh, they bought the rights for Australian dating show called Taken Out, and they're doing a remake called Take Me Out, where um, a panel of 18 women uh, judge uh, one man who, is, who comes up against the panel, and, one, and they, they eliminate themselves from the contest one by one until the man chooses one to go home with or to go out with. Um, now that kind of spawned off another uh, TV show by uh, Jiangsu TV called uh, Fashion Ruya, which is uh, ba- named after the Feng Xiaogang movie uh, If You're the One. That has 24 women and it has better production and it has, uh, it has attracted much bigger ratings. It's, in, in fact, it has become, I think, China's highest rated TV show um, that is not on CCTV, so which kind of tells you um, how big these kind of films are. These uh, these shows are these days because uh, they kind of reflect uh, attitudes of, of men and women these days. Uh, their attitude towards dating, uh, towards uh, things like status, and uh, and and things like I guess uh, what they see, what they prefer in the opposite sex. Um, so Hunan TV, who is kind of bitter that uh, I guess their competitor in Jiangsu TV has taken the spotlight, they say they decided to take um, the show to the big screen. Um, they have hired a very famous Chinese uh, young Chinese novelist um, 
to write the screenplay for a film that is apparently based on their dating show, Take Me Out. Um, there's no details yet. Um, they're talking about just dealing with some of the subjects they're dealt on the show, uh, some of the social uh, issues they're dealt on the show. But um, they have they haven't even have a director yet because the director is going to be taken from uh, their new reality show called uh, I Want to Make a Film. So this is kind of an interesting topic. I don't know how they're going to make a, manage to make a film out of this. Um, how about you, Paul? I mean, have you seen your share of dating shows on American TV? Well, Things you like know, they, know. Used to have, they used to have the dating game, which was, I think, a uh-huh. game show. Sort of, I don't know, it was back like in the 70s. Uh-huh. Um, I just, a little love connection? Yeah, love connection. I, I, I vaguely remember uh, these shows. Um, I've never been a huge game show fan. But then there was another trend that sort of started up, uh, I, I want to say, you know, right around the turn of the millennium, you know, post-2000 pe- period on some of the lower-end networks like, you know, the WB and the CW, which I can't remember the, what it was called, but it was a reality television type of thing where basically a camera crew would fo- follow like two people out on a first date. Blind date. Is it blind date? And then the, the, the editors date. would be would would what the editors would do is come in and put like dialogue balloons. Yeah, yeah, up, yeah, yeah. You know, that and, was great. and it yeah. really makes these people look kind of bad sometimes, you know, because of the association of what's in the balloon with what, you know, the person's you know, expression is on their face. And that may not may not be what that person is thinking, but the editor sort of has all the power in that situation. But those were like really cheaply produced shows. And then those sort of um, expanded in, into even what you might consider lower end shows, like where you um, shows that would focus on like catching a cheating boyfriend or something in the act, or where they would set up a situation where you know to see if the boy would cheat. You know, the girlfriend's like watching on a hidden cam somewhere, and this they hire this model to come and sort of tempt the boyfriend to see what the reaction is. I mean, just really sort of low, you know, lowbrow shows. That mm-hmm. sort of extended from this, um, but you mentioned that this is sort of based on the trend, and, and we've already had the film "If You Are the One," and I think there's a sequel to that coming, isn't there? Yes, there's a sequel to that coming with uh, same cast and also uh, by the same director, but I'm not sure what the story will be. Apparently, it will be a continuation of the story in the first film, but I think it will no longer uh, touch on the whole. You know the matching, the match dating, the blind date issue mm. that the first film dealt with. Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, it's it's definitely a growing issue with regard to the internet and matchmaking sites and and things like that. But I'm I was quite surprised to hear that actual game shows mm-hmm. were quite so popular because I mean, traditionally China does have uh, a tradition of matchmaking. You know, if you look at some of the way it's focused on in, in the older films, some of the Gong Li films and things, the idea of a sort of a, a mediator to come in and arrange a marriage between two families or something is nothing new, but now that mediator has been replaced by electronica of all sorts or media programs like this one. So it's interesting to see that development, that shift. It's very interesting because this kind of takes, brings out a lot of these archetypes of people like... Um, there's a contest. One of the women on the Jiangsu TV one, uh, the the one if you're the one show, uh, she she she's she's famous for uh, swearing to not uh, take a guy that makes less than two hundred thousand a month. 
Mm. Or um, there's one that's famous for being really, really tall, muscular, haven't been on a show for several months now. Um, things like it, it kind of creates these characters that that manage to bring a lot of buzz on the internet. It's so it's become so huge that the government, uh, the SARF, uh, State Administration of Radio and Television, had to put out a memo uh, to restrict these shows to essentially eight guidelines, quote unquote guidelines, uh, to tell these shows how to operate. So it's become um, really, really quite quite a big deal in China. And it's not even because of the arranged marriage thing. It's because of how much it exposed about society and the people. Mm. And how much, how, neg- how much negative stereotypes are starting to bring out that is kind of, which, that the government is starting to pay attention to. So mm. I'm wondering that whether this new memo is going to affect the movie because the announcement came before the memo came out. Mm. So the movie will be coming in a Chinese New Year. So perfect, perfect opportunity, I guess. Yeah. All right. Our next bit of news uh, is with regard to the film "Let the Bullets Fly." Uh, apparently, it's been delayed. So, Kevin, you have a little bit more of uh, insight on this story for us. Yeah. Um. This is sort of a half editorial, so I hope you don't mind. I'm gonna <laughs> run on a little bit. Um. The report came out last week. If you follow my Twitter, um, I posted uh, a tweet or something saying that uh. The, the website Twitch uh, had kind of misreported uh, a piece of news that, that he found, uh, that runner show, uh, web site runner Top Round found on Film Biz Asia. And that's about the release of the um, Western, Chinese Western film, um, Let the Bullets Fly. That's supposed to star uh, Chan Fat and uh, Ge Yo from If You're the One. Um, that movie's been pushed back. Uh, to either Christmas or Chinese New Year. At the time when I read the Chinese news report, it says uh, Chinese New Year, but then apparently now it's Christmas. The reason is very simple. It's because the um, the film has quite a big budget and the overseas investors or distributors, they want to make this a global day and date release. Uh, I'm not sure what global means, but the whole reason is that they want more time to build buzz. The film was supposed to open uh, during the National Day holiday on October 1st, but uh, apparently, you know, only China celebrates that holiday. So the the, the distributors or investors, they want a bigger bigger number of audience and they want to do a bigger release, and which is why they pushed it back. So it's not uh, a quality issue or anything. It's maybe they're so confident with the film that they want as big an audience for it as possible. Now, Twitch, um, who was run by Top Brown, he has picked up that news and sort of put his own spin on it. Uh, he, his headline is that, um, that the one-eyed man is not happy. Now, the one-eyed man, uh, one man is referring to the picture still that he has. He's essentially suggesting that uh, the film has been pushed back and that sort of takes it out of uh, film festivals, uh, Western film festivals, and... Um, and that the film isn't complete, and that it's missing out international festivals, and that the investors are not happy. Um, so this is kind of the state of internet reporting. This is kind of a big problem. Um, and I can't say that my, my blog didn't run into this problem. It's how, how the reporter or people who pass on information, how they perceive these type of news, and how convenient it is for people to just sort of ignore the facts and, and run their own spin on it and, and sacrifice the real, real facts behind the story. And I think it's getting to be quite annoying and quite um, harmful to, to people, to audience out there, or to, to people who read these kind of news, who follow these news. Mm. Um, personally, when I do a piece of news, if I have to criticize it, I really do look for 
saw everything behind it, all the facts. Um, even if I don't like that piece of news, I would try to point out, you know, the other side, saying, oh, maybe, maybe, blah, 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 blah. Or if, if I think it's bad, but it might be good for certain people. Now, if you kind of spin the news like that and just, and just pass it on to your own, and I'm going to quote what I said, um, what I traded in, in tweets to, to a, a Twitch supporter, that when someone does this to the news, when they spin the news their own way, that's not news. It's Fox News. <laughs> it, it's not right to to pass to to pass on a piece of news with your own spin and essentially just hiding the information or not bother to find out information that people ought to know. If the movie is being pushed back to make it as wide audience to to give it to show it to as wide range of audience as possible, then don't say the investors are not happy because the investors are happy, happy enough that they're willing to push the film back to expand it. Um. If if okay, you're worried about not being going going to festivals, um, okay, then you can say okay, yeah, he did. Todd Todd did bring out that it's going to miss the festivals, but festivals aren't everything. All the people who care about festivals play, they probably saw it in 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 the film markets. Uh, they 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 seen it, they seen the film, and they know that it's good. And they want to put it to to put it in wide release, and that's why they want to push back. To me, this is just this is not the way you do news reporting. Um, and this is certainly a problem that this is not the, the the problem that Twitch has run into for the first time. They have, uh, and this is kind of a private, uh, this is kind of a joke that we make um, among our friends is that once uh, Top Brown put up uh, a news piece talking about murder, and the first line is Aaron Kwok could have been under Andy Lau, but he chose not to. I mean, that's, and I mean, obviously Todd has not heard of the Four Heavenly Kings, and that Aaron Kwok was exactly trying to be another Andy Lau. And, and you don't just you don't report the news to people like that. Um, and I hope that it will stop. But of course, Twitch has is very popular with the, the Internet um, Asian film fans. So uh, I hope that Asian film fans would start picking up that Twitch aren't very good reporters. Um, hopefully they would try and look for different news sources or if they read something from uh, from Twitch, I hope they would. Uh, follow through on news that they're really interested in because uh, sometimes the internet really isn't as trustworthy as they would like to be. Uh, even I would, even me, the the people who who, who write news for the internet would say so. Yeah, I think this is, um, you know, it it's it's bringing up this whole question. I mean, um, if if we could look at uh, the the incident with the iPhone four, not to get all techie. Um, but it, it, in a way, it's kind of the same issue with this question of are bloggers reporters, right? Mm -hmm. And just because you have a forum, just because you have an outlet, I mean, you and I have an outlet here, um, producing an, you know, an audio program. Are we re really reporters? Are we commentators? Are we simply editorializing? A lot of that is very blurred now because of the ease of use of media. And there's a lot of question about things like with regard to standards. And some people were debating this issue with regard to the guy who, um, I think, was it over on uh, Endgadget or Gizmodo? I, I can't remember. Gizmodo, yeah. Um, who, the guy who got the photos, who paid for the photos, and he's being cited with receiving stolen property. And it's a whole issue of does he have, is he protected under the rights of journalism? Are bloggers journalists? Um, and it, it's the, the one thing that's true is that 
this there's this idea that we live in such a fast news cycle now that it's not about the quality or the content so much anymore it's about who's got the scoop first mm-hmm. and even in newspaper reporting i mean one of the classes i teach on on new media and journalism i've got several examples of newspapers that have come out with a story that they thought was a scoop only to have to retract that story a day later because it turned out that their source was totally incorrect. And so it's this whole idea of who's got the story first, who's going to get, you know, all the eyes going their way first. And I think that perhaps that the competition for that is what's more in focus. Um, And then there's just the simple question of, you know, are our bloggers always trying to be reporters or are they trying to simply comment or editorialize? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I don't, I, I'm not sure what Twitch is trying to be. Are they trying to be journalists? Are they trying to be commentators? Are they trying to be entertaining? You know, a lot of times I would think that there are some people out there that I read who are writing things not from a sense of wanting to be newsworthy, but wanting uh, wanting to be funny or wanting to be entertaining. Mm-hmm. And perhaps it's not easy for us to always disassociate um, what people are doing. What's their what's their actual intent for their audience? Yeah, um, I think the big problem is that a lot of these um, film fans or film bloggers these days who are kind of aspiring film journalists is that they don't come from a journalism background. Um, I... I I would I wouldn't say I come with a journalism background, but one I I, I studied communication, uh, with the intent of being working in the media. Um, so I know certain certain um, I guess media ethics or ethics of a reporter. I also written multiple articles, um, interview or feature articles. So I you kind of pick up what your what your ethics are when you when you write for certain media. But the thing is, even respectable media or I guess big media like newspapers, even they can't be reliable sources anymore. Like um, I just read this week that a Hong Kong newspaper picked up or somehow made up a story about a um, Japanese adult film actress who is selling her body for free to Chinese men to atone for the world for the sins of Japanese soldiers during World War Two. And then turns out it was a made up story, but yet another Korean newspaper is already running it. Hmm. So it's hard to tell who you can trust, trust these days. So I, I kind of made it a point that whatever a, a piece of news I read, I don't really care about scoop anymore. I try to look for, if I want to, if I have to report it on during work, um, on the Yes Asia news section, I would want to look for multiple news sources. Mm. And that's just really simple reporting ethics. But sadly, a lot of um, internet bloggers uh, slash Reporters slash commentators because really that's all they that's they they have slashes in in they're adding slashes in their titles now that's all they do they just find the first little bit of rumor they find and just report it as news on their Twitter on their blog on their Facebook wherever they can whatever outlet they can find if anything I wonder if this the the way that the deeper this new media thing goes um will it bring back the respectability or the elitist um status of you know big media of uh, big uh, famous editors or, or, you know, editors who have, who have integrity, journalistic integrity, or would it go the other way around? That's what I'm wondering.
All right, for our East screen this week, we're going to talk about uh, two films because both Kevin and I have seen a film and we saw different films. So we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about each of them. So Kevin, what's your film for us this week? Uh, sorry, Paul. I feel like I cheated on you watching this film without you. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, actually, I saw this film. Uh, it was a closing film with the Hong Kong International Film Festival, uh, the one about the naked men, and that would be X, uh, the follow-up film by uh, director Hayward Mack, who kind of impressed a lot of people with her debut film, uh, High Noon. Have you seen High Noon, Paul? I have not seen High Noon yet, no. Uh, you're missing out because that one is a much better movie than X, Sally. Um, this time, it's not only because it, it's the uh, Hayward Mack's second film. It also marks the return of Jillian Chung, uh, her first, officially her first film role, uh, I guess starring role, since the photo, the photo, sexy photo skate back uh, two and a half years ago. And um, this time, Hayward Mack has a, has a knack for really capturing... Uh, young people, as one could see in uh, Love in the Puff, uh, her script. Uh, obviously, that she, she has she captured the way that young people talk, the way young people behave, the way young people um, see society or see certain aspects of life. So, so it, it was. Uh, I quite look forward to it because uh, it's her dealing with a, a romance uh, and a particularly bitter romance because um, this one is about two ex-lovers. Uh, played by Jillian Chung and William Chan, uh, another emperor entertainment group pop star, who reunite. Um, Jillian Chung plays a character named Zhou Yi, um, who kind of just wanders around, kind of a free woman. Um, she has a boyfriend played by Lawrence Chow. Um, they have a fight at the airport before they go off on a trip, um, and they happen to be sitting right next to... Um, Ping, who is William Chan's character and also um, Joey's ex-boyfriend. Um, so Joey breaks up with the, her current boyfriend on the spot and spots her ex-boyfriend Ping with his new girlfriend, uh, played by Michelle Y, sitting across from him. So he he and and uh, since that since uh, her boyfriend has left Hong Kong, she has nowhere to live. So uh, Ping invites her to stay with them for a few days. Um, this sets up uh, kind of a lot of flashbacks um, about the two's relationship, uh, their good moments, their bad moments. Um, Joey's boyfriends after after uh, Ping and her broke up, um, and all these flashbacks somehow bring back bring some kind of realization to the character. And um, and I'm not sure all that, I'm not all that sure what that realization is. Uh, one because that I saw that film a few months ago, and which means that it must have not been so memorable for me to remember. Um, now the individual aspects are good. Um, it's quite well shot. Um, Hayward Mack is not only a good writer; she's also um, quite interesting uh, stylist, I suppose, uh, with the camera. So it's quite beautifully shot. It was shot on digital video, but uh, it didn't seem like it uh, in the festival print, even though it has some color color issues, but that's really besides the, that's not something the cinematographer should be blamed for. Uh, it's also quite act, well acted. Uh, Jillian Chung um, was good. Um, maybe I guess because she's playing kind of a half adult, but still kind of an immature attitude type of character that's really closer to her age, better than the, the, the characters that she played when she was part of the twins. Um, it has some good scenes. Some of them were, again, uh, Hayward Mack is a very good writer, and so some of these stuff are quite well written. But the problem is that it never really, they, all these things don't really come together to make a really solid film. One, because 
these the story never really moves along because uh, there's tons of flashbacks and by the time you're an hour in and it's still flashing back and it's something the story is kind of hitting an end, you wonder really what just happened. Uh, nothing really happens in this film and yet these characters seem to have gone through a really profound change in their relationships. And another problem with these characters is that, is that they're not really all that likable. I mean, Jillian Chung's character, uh, Joe Yi, she's kind of the, I guess, typical Hong Kong girl. Uh, uh, kind of a, what's the word? A cliched Hong Kong girl, uh, the type that won't talk about logic, the the one, the, the types that get angry easily, and they they really scream at their boyfriends for no reason. And, and she's not really a very likable character. Um, Peng is not all that likable character. Even her, even uh, his girl, Michelle White character, his girlfriend, um, turns into not a really likable character either. And you, you just watch it and you don't really care about the revelation. You don't really care about what they go through. You don't really care about what happens to them afterwards. And you kind of think whatever bad things happen to them, they kind of brought it onto themselves. So in the end, uh, it, it kind of feels like Hayward Mack, she, she, has, she seems to be setting up all these observations about romances and love, but in the end, it just seems like she's more in love with being in love than, you know, actually being in love with anyone. She's just really in love with one of her observations, and she's in love with being in love. Um, the whole thing is, at the end, uh, the film says it's for anyone who has loved more than once, but it just ends up, seems like it's saying that, it seems like it's Hayward Max saying, I've been in love more than once, and this movie is to me. So, that's um, Sally. Uh, it could have been a really interesting film. Um, I think some Hong Kong youth romances have been turned out quite well. Uh, I particularly like Tempting Heart. I like Twelve Nights, even though it seems I'm the only person who does. Uh, they make some really interesting observations about love in this uh, small city, but X kind of really fails in that aspect. Mm. What? How? How does this film stack up against? Um something like uh, Beyond Our Ken, which also mm. was sort of about a love, like a love triangle kind of a thing and also had Jillian in it. The only thing we really shared is kind of the... It, it's kind of the directors, um, directors complimenting themselves or directors trying to prove themselves. Uh, Pan Hu Chen is kind of showing that Beyond Our Ken, how clever he is with that ending. Um, and... Even though that didn't really hurt the film as much as it did, that Hayward Mack did for X, because that film again had really good performances. The characters were a little more likable, um, and even though it, I, I'm saying that Pang Chen is trying to show how clever he is, you can't help but think that oh, wait, that it is kind of clever. It is mm -hmm. kind of a clever film, and again, it's just the the, the scenes, the characters, the um, the way the story unfolds. It's a lot more interesting than X because. Um, X essentially most of the film, or even, I would say two thirds of the film, is flashbacks. When you when you hear the when you kind of look at the poster and you kind of look at the the, the premise, you would think that it's about how these three people, um, Peng and his his ex girlfriend, his current girlfriend, how they coexist with each other. But that's really rarely dealt with. It just kind of indulges itself with a lot of flashbacks and never really goes anywhere for me. Mm. So, so yeah, what, I would say yeah, X is definitely a worse film than Beyond Our Ken. What would you say in terms of, uh, you know, is this something people should see in the theater, um, see it on DVD, or borrow it from a friend? I mean, there's something that might be better better watch at home because you can at least you can watch it in in certain portions that will play better. It will probably be 
it doesn't have to follow a certain pacing. We don't have to swallow it in one take. Then the whole the whole concentration and or the focus on flashbacks doesn't seem so um, meandering. Mm. Um, it works better if you watch it, I think, at home. And now, as you mentioned, this is sort of Jillian's. Uh, it's being considered as Jillian's first role back, but she did have a role in um, in the. Chinese New Year film, right? Um, uh, just another Pandora's box. Yeah, she. I mean, that's not. It was. She wasn't really a, a starring role, but she did have a somewhat significant position in that. And she's got another film coming out, The Fantastic Water Babies. Now that was done uh, prior to or during the time of the photo scandal. Is that correct? Uh, that was prior to the photo scandal. It was supposed to come out, I think, a few months within it. Mm -hmm. uh around that i think april so the the scandal broke up before chinese new year so um i think so it that's was, been was, that's yeah. been delayed basically it was it's been delayed for the last two and a half years and finally it's been approved to come out yeah and that delay is it because primarily of the photo scandal or were there other issues uh mostly it's definitely photo scandal i think china wouldn't approve the film um partly because of china wouldn't approve the film because of the photo scandal and partly because um emperor group was just taking her time on planning her comeback. So do you think that she's going to, I mean, is, is her performance in this film solid enough? Do you think this is going to be a comeback for her? Is, is she going to be able to establish herself as a serious actress and something that's separate from, you know, her identity as a twin uh, with Charlene? She was really good in the film, but I think her character is too unlikable really to, to attract Anything. I mean, uh, the the feedback from audience here hasn't been good. Um, I saw it at the again I saw it at the film festival, uh, Hong Kong International Film Festival. It was the closing films. Uh, the stars, every, including producer Chapman Toh, was sitting in the auditorium with us, and the reaction was really kind of muted. Mm. Um, it seemed like audience definitely did not enjoy the film. They thought I think they think that it's a mess because of all the flashbacks and kind of the messy structure. So uh, no, I don't think I don't think this film can establish Jillian back as an actress as well as the uh, emperor wanted to yeah, and so the films it's just been given general release here this past week it opened last thursday so it actually hasn't even been out for a full week so um, maybe next week on our next show we can look at the numbers and and see see how it's doing uh, in terms of of sales which i haven't heard a lot of buzz about it so i i don't it doesn't seem to me like it's doing all that well but, yeah, Emperor uh, definitely pulled back. They only released it on 19 screens here, um, which is definitely not a number of screens that Jillian would get back then. I mean, uh, a general major Hong Kong release would get at least, you know, 25, 30 screens easy. But uh, somehow Emperor and this distributor, they seem to be kind of pulling back. They're just giving it 19 screens. Which is kind of interesting. I guess I, I thought they would try and build up on the whole, build on the Jillian hype. But I'm guessing the the word of mouth from the film festival, I guess, got so loud that they just kind of got went quiet with it. Yeah. All right. Our next uh, film that we're going to talk about for East Screen this week is the Japanese film How to Date an Otaku Girl, and this is directed by Atsushi Kan Kanshige Kan Kaneshige. Uh, my Japanese has long since left me. Um, but, uh, he is, he's not an overly famous director. He's, uh, recently most known for Detroit Metal City, which was quite funny and entertaining. 
And he's also directed a couple Godzilla movies, and being a big Godzilla fan that I am, um, he directed Godzilla against Mechagodzilla, or what's called uh, <clears throat> Godzilla X Mechagodzilla, given titles, back in 2002. And this film, which has uh, also got the title of my, my Geeky Girlfriend in some international screens, uh, it was opened as part of a festival film here in Hong Kong, um, but it had general release last week, and I rushed out to see it primarily be- because of the, uh, the topic, uh, being a fan of uh, Japanese pop culture and things related to otaku. I was very interested to see uh, what this film was about. So the film stars Shinsuke uh, Daito as a character named Hinata, and Wakana Matsumoto as Yoriko. And basically these two characters at the very start of the film, um, they're on a date and it's sort of, you know, that for that very nervous moment when the boy asks the girl out and the movie picks up from there. Um, Hinata finds out very soon that uh, Yoriko is actually um, an otaku girl and she's a specific type of otaku girl called a Fujoshi. Um, now, Fujoshi otaku are girls who are very much obsessed with um, a manga, or that's Japanese comic book, and a specific genre known as yaoi manga, or what they call BL manga, and the BL stands for Boys Love. And <laughs> so these are manga that are um, typically associated with re- usually indirect relationships or implied relationships between two male protagonists. Um, sometimes these tend to get into, um, more adult, you know, de- depictions and, and scenes, but sometimes they're simply implied. So there are different levels of BL manga out there. Um, and, uh, Yuriko is very much into the BL culture. She's not only into the manga, she goes to themed restaurants with her girlfriends where, um, the waiters are all sort of these handsome, metrosexual-looking boys, and they often um, do certain actions or certain things to imply that they may have feelings toward an- another male, another waiter, or one of the male guests. And this makes, you know, the girls go crazy and start to swoon. Um, and so basically it's about Hinata sort of coming to terms with this obsession by his... Uh, his girlfriend Yuriko. And so the first half of the film is is really funny because it's playing a lot on these manga references. There are references to lots of modern pop culture from manga, things like Gundam and Kerodo. Um, I'm sure there were things in there that I missed because I do read some manga, but I'm not, uh, there's still a lot that I don't have contact with. And the, it, the, the film itself is basically coming off as a female version of Train Man in many, in, in many ways. Um, it's, it's a similar kind of dynamic um, with Yuriko, you know, be, becoming uh, over, overly obsessive at moments and just acting crazy and Hinata having to sort of work through that. And then about midway through the film, there's an event that happens that basically threatens to uh, split them up. And that's where the real problem, that's where the film really starts to go downhill, is because that event, um, for, for uh, all, all it is, it's, it's not that big of a deal. Um, it's, 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 it's 
something that's threatening to split them up that serves as the, the point of conflict, but it's something that you would think about for a moment and you'd figure out if you were really in love with this person, um, it's, it's not that difficult to resolve. But the, they just overly belabor the point. I mean, it's just long shots of these characters walking, like with their head down, trying to show their sadness that they're not going to be able to be together or that they've broken up. And it's just, it, it's driving the point home a little bit too much. Um, there's a standard sort of MTV, MTV moment with uh, using an English song. It's not a very good song, it's not very engaging. I think this will probably would have been a lot better as a TV drama as well, because there are some characters here, some of the supporting characters who seem to be really fun to, funny and really interesting, but they're not given a lot of time. And this seems like it's got the pacing of something that would be de better developed over um, maybe, you know, seven or eight hours, about the length of a standard uh, TV drama series. Um, there's a lot of, how to say, the, the way that they portray um, Hinata, um, is it's a lot of ways similar to uh, the Korean film My Sassy Girl, and because of that, some some of what they're doing here comes off as a little bit redundant. But mm -hmm. if you're somebody who really sort of enjoys manga and um, some of some of the culture surrounding manga, I think you'd still enjoy this film. Um, there was there was one scene where it, it seemed like the, uh, I was in the audience. And I must have been the oldest person there because the average age of the audience, I think, was probably 17. And there was a scene where Hinata and his best friend who's in college, um, they ride a scooter together, his best friend's driving, and Hinata has to sort of, you know, put his arms around him to hold on. And the girls just went nuts um, <laughs> with this, you know, this is sort of implied scene. And it was done on purpose, And but the girls in the audience just went crazy. Um, so this definitely appeals to a certain demographic, a certain um, sector of the audience that's out there. Um, but it's fairly approachable for people who, I mean, it's not, it, it, there, there's nothing overly adult here. It's, you know, it's all implied humor. Um, and it's just sad that they, that the relationship sort of hinges on this, this one, this one point that really doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, you have to stay to the end credits because the story does does sort of continue on for a little bit um, after the end credits roll. So if you do get out to watch it or you do get this on DVD, um, try and you know don't miss that that final part because it does sort of add to the story a little bit. Wow, sounds like it really brought the wrong type of audience, I guess, for movie going. <laughs> well, yeah, it's uh, I don't know. I, I have I have weird tastes. Um, you know, it was, it was it was enjoyable. The first half was really great. I just wish they could have sort of extended it on a little bit more. The one big problem I have with the casting is I think the actress was a little bit too pretty for the role. Mm -hmm. You know, um, much in the same way that with the Train Man film, uh, not the Train Man TV drama, mind you, but the Train Man film, um, the, the actor that they had, you know, they kind of dumbed him down a little bit. But by the end of the film, once he's sort of learned how to groom himself, I mean, he's he looks smashing, right? Um, so here, the the female actress, I mean, her habits and her, her obsessive behavior are kind of weird and geeky in some places, but she really does not look the part that much. She really looks too, um, you know, too attractive for the part. And I know that's probably stereotyping, you know, a little bit that, you know, oh, we're saying that, Otakus and geeks have to be 
unattractive. No, I wouldn't say that, but she was, because she's a, one of of the key things that is dealing with here is her job. Um, She has a pretty high position in a company um, and she, you know, really spends time on her grooming and things that typically people who are, you know, there's a look about train men, you know, that they do not really groom themselves well because they spend all of their time on the computer and obsessing over their the things they like, you know, the media that they like. And that's supposed to be holding true here for the characters here um, to some extent, but that's never really brought across. Well, it just seems like it's a, it's a really a fantasy fulfillment movie. So the movie is really made for male nerds more than, more than I guess, female. Well, I don't um, think so. I mean, I think that... I mean, it, it's, it did seem like that the majority of the audience I was with were, were, were girls. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it, it does seem like there's some male fantasy elements in there that, oh, if I could get an otaku girl who was this hot, you know, that's like a dream come true. Um, right. So it's, yeah, it's, 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 the, it's a little, there's a little bit of nerd fantasy in there that's playing into it too. So um, yeah, it's, it serves up something for everybody. You know, if you're into geeky stuff, that is. It's time to talk about our West screen news for this week. Uh, not a whole lot of news to talk about, but one story did catch my eye, and that is the actress Jennifer Love Hewitt. She is very anxious to play the character of Wonder Woman, and uh, I guess they're looking to produce an upcoming Wonder Woman film. Um, so I can remember Wonder Woman uh, from my youth uh, as a television show played in a almost iconic manner by uh, the actress Linda Carter, who I know that myself and many of my fellow classmates, um, we were very much obsessed about Linda Carter. Uh, she was sort of the it girl for us, uh, you know, <laughs> in, in our little comic book and geeky world. Um, so it's interesting to see that she's sort of very anxious. They say that... Uh, um, other stars like Megan Fox, Eliza Dushku from, um, oh, what's that series she did with Joss Whedon? Uh, Dollhouse. Dollhouse, yeah. Um, uh, Sandra Bullock, Beyonce, have all been sort of looked at to take over the role. 
And she is apparently being very proactive and pleading with uh, the studios to hire her for the part. And the article says, she says, I'm fighting so hard. I think Warner Brothers is getting ready to make Wonder Woman, and I really want to play Wonder Woman. I'm obsessed with Wonder Woman. So I say give it to her. I mean, <laughs> she's definitely got the assets to play the part. Um, she's, yeah, she's, I see him. <laughs> she's a pretty decent actress, and uh, she kind of has, at least in the picture they're using of her here on the article, she does sort of have that, you know, Linda Carter-esque look going. So I think that uh, I uh, with the people they've got listed, um, I'd say... Go with her. I mean, I, I'd, she'd be my number one choice if I had to choose from uh, the other people listed. Uh, Beyonce, uh, I don't know. Uh, Sandra Bullock, no. Eliza Dushku, uh, I like her, but I don't think she's Wonder Woman. Megan Fox, definitely no. I am so done with Megan Fox. Um, so, yeah, I'd, I'd be excited to see her do this role. I'd definitely be out there on opening day uh, to see her <laughs> take that over. What kind of what kind of approach do you want them to take? I mean, remember they did a um, bionic was it bionic woman that they remade into a TV series again a few yeah, years ago? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it seemed like it went the Christopher Nolan dark origin story see, I didn't, way. I didn't that see that. Um, I just know. I just know. I I knew they remade it, and I think they pulled over uh, Katie Sackhoff from uh-huh. Battlestar Galactica was in it. She wasn't. She wasn't the. Uh, um, she wasn't the main character, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it was canceled pretty quickly, though. That's the thing. Yeah, it's a problem. Um, I don't, you know, I, I, I think I'd be excited to see this. You, you, would you, would you, who would you want playing the role, Kevin? If you had the choice of casting for Wonder Woman. Oh no, I think Beyonce has the attitude. Uh, she could pull it off. If, if anyone won't have to chant transform the race of the character um, to an African-American character. And I think, I think uh, Beyonce would be a good choice. Well, to see, play you know, I, yeah, I mean, I, I know that there's been talk before about, and we talked about it a couple weeks ago with the issue about the um, black actor wanting to play as Peter Parker, Spider-Man. Um, I, I, I think that if you're going to, if you want to make a racial Wonder Woman, just to make a racial woman, Wonder Woman, that the first choice doesn't necessarily have to be African American. Why not mm-hmm. an Asian Wonder Woman? Right. right? I mean, Maggie why... Q is already doing La Femme Nikita. Yeah. Eh, not Maggie Q. Oh, please not Maggie Q. Um, <laughs> but no, I mean, I mean, why not? Why not an? Why not an Asian Wonder Woman? Why not an Indian Wonder Woman? I mean, um, India in terms of proximity is much closer to uh, Greece, I think, than uh, anybody in the United States. <laughs> um, <clears throat> Unless they get a British woman, <laughs> yeah. In, but but isn't uh, Wonder Woman kind of a quintessential like American character? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it, if you look at the design of the character, um, you know, it's except for the fact that she's a brunette instead of a blonde. You know, it, it's she's she's very much she's she's red the red white and blue. She's sort of the female equivalent of Superman before there was a Supergirl. Basically, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, she worked. She worked closely with the government. I mean, in the TV show, she was a secretary for a general. So, yeah, it's 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 definitely, you know, that notion. But I mean, from the from the mythological aspect, you know, she was supposedly an Amazon, um, dealing with you know, the the Greek myth the, the Greek mythology, 
So, you know, if, if you were going to look at it from that aspect, I mean, get the actress who was in uh, My Big Fat Greek Wedding. No, 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 I'll go with Jennifer Love Hewitt. Thank you very much. Okay, so that's settled. All right, it's time to move on and talk about our West Screen film for this week. And we're going back to talk about the old uh, TV series remake, The A-Team. So, Kevin, do you want to start off and tell us, take us into The A-Team? Wow. Um, I don't know, Paul, because I, I didn't really watch the original show, so maybe you could you could give us the context of, of the characters and, uh, and the whole original show and how it works into the new show. In 1972, a crack commando unit was sent to prison by a military court for a crime they didn't commit. These men promptly escaped from a maximum security stockade to the Los Angeles underground. Today, still wanted by the government, they survive as soldiers of fortune. If you have a problem, if no one else can help, and if you can find them, maybe you can hire the A-Team. All right, well, the original, the original show was, um, God, what was it, back in the 80s? And um, it was primarily famous for, it had a really great cast. Um, you had George Papard, who played Hannibal. Mr. T, uh, as the icon- iconic uh, BA. Um, you had uh, Dirk Benedict, off of Battlestar Galactica, who was playing Face. And Dwight, S- Dwight Schultz, who was kind of an unknown at the time, um, as Murdoch. And he would go on later to have more roles in Star Trek and 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 some others and some other things um, that would sort of carry him on, but it was it was it was very well cast back in the day, and basically it was the story of an elite team of army rangers who'd been convicted of a crime uh, that they didn't commit, and they decide to escape from prison, and they are on the lam, but in being on the lam, they go around and help people. Um, by basically hiring themselves out as mercenaries. And, you know, being the do-gooders that they are, they always help the little guy, uh, as it were. And so this film serves as sort of the prequel, in in many senses, mm-hmm. to the TV series. It sort of shows the backstory of how the characters met and, you know, what, what did they do together and how did they get in trouble. Now, it's a you kind of have to shift gears a little bit because um, some of some of the military action that they're involved with is taking place in Iraq and obviously that was not a theater of engagement for us back in the 80s um, I don't really remember if the TV show uh, I think they might have mentioned some of the some of the skirmishes they were involved with but I don't remember if it was Vietnam or if it was Grenada or some other country at the time it was Vietnam I think I checked was on Wikipedia it? yeah yeah so they have changed the, the mythology around the series a little bit to fit more with the times, but I don't think that takes anything away. Um, I think that uh, the casting that we have now, it works equally well. The, 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 the actors that they brought in to sort of reprise these roles 
Um, they seem to know the traits that the original actors brought to the roles, and they seem to use them uh, pretty well. It's a fun popcorn movie. Um, it's ridiculous sort of over-the-top action. Because it's telling a backstory of the TV series, um, it's really approachable for new people. Um, I, I, I think that you probably would appreciate it more if you've seen the show because you'll appreciate some of the mannerisms and some of the, some of the jokes that are being played on um, because those things were apparent in the TV series. But it's still equally approachable for somebody who's never seen the show. Um, the first half I thought was great, you know, sort of how they meet, how they work together, how they develop their camaraderie, um, all up until the point to where they, they get in trouble. Um, when there's an incident that happens, they're blamed for it. They end up going to prison. And then basically the CIA wants to, um, wants their help in sort of uncovering, uh, what was going on in the event that originally got them in trouble. And so they escape to go out and sort of clear their name and, and right the wrongs that were done to them. And then the plot gets a little bit convoluted and there's like three different sides at one point. And I felt that that second half really started to drag a little bit. Um, it, I wasn't, it didn't get that interesting because <laughs> it was so focused on the who's doing what. It was kind of almost like a, a Mission <clears throat> Impossible um, kind of a, kind of a feeling, which I, I didn't think, I don't know, it's, it's kind of reminiscent of the show. I just thought it was overly complex. Um, and apparently there's a, there's actually, I, I saw in the credits, there was a Dirk Benedict cameo at one point, but I don't remember seeing it. I don't remember seeing him. I thought I would have recognized him immediately. So either I missed it or it got cut in, uh, the Hong Kong version. I'm not sure which is the case. You just know, sit to the end of credits. Yeah. I didn't past. stay. I didn't stay past. Was it? Was it at the at the end? Because I had to run to the bathroom. Yeah, it's a post credit scene. Oh man! Yeah. So that's where it is. Okay, yeah. I'll have to watch that on the DVD. Because yeah, I was like, I had a huge coke, and I just I had to run. And by the mm -hmm. time I had gotten back, the credits were done. So yeah, what, what did you think about the film, Kev? Oh, I think I think it's the most fun I had this year at a movie. It was. You talk about the second half, the the part when they when they get blame for the crime and they go to prison you, you said that's when the film started going downward but that's when the tank scene happened man the tank yeah the there's tank a lot of controversy the the there's a lot of controversy about the tank the no tank it wasn't I, i'd say week. i'd say you know that was a good scene after that though i mean when they when they got into germany and they started figuring out who's doing what and what they were going to do and then there's a they're doing a shell game, but on a larger scale. I don't know. All of that kind of, it, it's one of those, it's one of those things where you have a plan and someone is supposed to do, you do a certain events and you expect a person to do a certain number of things in an exact manner for that mm -hmm. plan to work. You know, it kind of reminds me a little bit of, um, of accident, right? Mm -hmm. And how, you, you, you have to set things up in such an exact way that everything, everybody has, that you have to sort of predict with perfect accuracy exactly how somebody's going to do something. And if they, you know, it's almost like if they walk with their left foot instead of their right foot, something may have happened differently and just totally throws the whole plan out of whack. And they, you know, in accident, they kind of, 
they they kind of dealt with that because you know the the scenes where the guys are having to go over and over and over and over again, right, to to get the things to work. But sometimes you know it's like you may plan for something totally random to happen, like a, a brick has to fall off a building and hit hit something else. But you know there's a, there's sort of a chaotic element that can be thrown in there that can make things not work that you just can't plan for sometimes and. So it was, it's that kind of a thing that comes at the end. And I just thought, oh, that's, you know, that's just not, I didn't enjoy that part as much as, as the first half. Yeah. But you know, um, you know, you know, the A team is all about plans coming together. Yeah. It's all about, you know, the <laughs> plan, plan coming together. Right. So, I, I mean, I, I kind of accept it. It's, it's totally over the top. It, it's absolutely ridiculous. It has no logic whatsoever, but. It is so much fun. I had so much fun watching it, especially the tank scene, because I was sitting next to a German guy who was telling me how, how, how implausible that it would be that they fly from Frankfurt onto wherever it is they land. <laughs> and he's like, and then and after he realized his mistake, he's like, yeah, but then everything else was so plausible. I'm sure that's why. Yeah. Well, so, <laughs> apparently, somebody on Twitter was saying that there's a there's like a huge there was a huge debate with physics and all this stuff going on. With regard to what was what's possible and what's not, and I'm like, it's a Hollywood movie, guys. Who cares? Who cares? Yeah, this, you know, this is a film. It, it reminded yeah. me of some of the arguments that were going on with regard to Jumper, um, a couple years back. You know, the people try and get it all scientific and analytical, and I'm like, no, it's a tank flying through the air, falling through the air. I mean, come on, you know, you know the guys are gonna live, so just let them have fun and roll with it. Right, and it's it, it, the fun really kind of makes up for for the entire lack of, the totally lack of logic yeah. in the film, and it was so much fun, and and um I didn't really watch, I never watched the show, um I start I watched the first episode, a part of the first episode, um on Hulu, but um I kind of know the concept, I know Mr. T, everyone knows Mr. T, um a pretty food I don't, um. <laughs> So the, and the whole thing about, like you said, the whole thing about making it kind of a mix of a prequel and it's the whole franchise first episode really work uh, for newbies. Uh, I think it's a really good attempt to update the A team for a new generation. Um, kind of this cheesy action, uh, fun, um, kind of reminiscent of, um, I guess, really the old fashioned action films where yeah. a lot of them started getting bogged down. And I would in be very, I'd be very happy for them to do sequels if they could keep the mm -hmm. cast intact. I'd, you know, I'd, I'd go see these guys do, you know, more A team missions. Yeah, yeah. The chemistry between the actors, the team, they were. I think they, if people who didn't like the action, I think they could have, they would have stayed for the yeah. for the chemistry. Yeah. Uh, Bradley Cooper wasn't as bad as I thought. Um, Liam Neeson kicked ass. He kind of carried that dignified badass uh act that he had from taken and just carried it over from to to a team and i thought that was great um the um, the wrestler um that they the ufa uh uf the ultimate fighting championship uh fighter who plays uh Baracus, um what's his name quentin jackson yeah i thought yeah. he was fine oh he was awesome he was awesome he was, yeah, the only thing fine. this film needed was a mr t cameo that's all yeah, it mr. needed t apparently uh refused to do a cameo um and he was good at the whole fool thing uh i was a little disappointed he didn't say you know pitying the fool uh yeah i'm not gonna make a pun of that i promise <laughs> um except for that i mean i thought he was good um although the whole thing about his his arc his character arc um the whole thing using uh a certain um 
let me just uh, how do I say this? Uh, using Gandhi, I guess. Uh, using Gandhi for his to to kind of excuse what the team does is a little insulting uh, for anyone who follows his teachings. But um, I thought it was fine. It was well, fun. it was interesting because um, I you know it, I wasn't really sure where they were going to go with that because you know in the, in the TV series the TV series was back in the eighties mm-hmm. and that was at a time when you couldn't show a lot of violence on TV mm-hmm. and the A team was was a, a show that pushed that envelope but the violence they did show they'd always show um cars slipping over they'd show explosions with jeeps and guys like jumping out of the jeep but nobody would die in the show mm-hmm. they'd shoot at people people would have guns knocked out of their hands and you know but the bad guys would always live to be captured and to be you know sort of driven away or whatever so i kind of thought that's what they were going to build to towards the end to where they were all going to become like um, maybe the the they were going to s- somehow work that into what the theme of the original show was they didn't really go that well that route and i think i'm i, I was okay with that um i didn't really have a problem with it but i thought that originally as they were kind of leading through that whole dilemma and the dilemma primarily revolves around um ba that that's what it was going to build to. And I would be kind of like, okay, well, that's a bit too much of the old TV series then. Well, um, yeah, I thought, I thought it was no, I thought it was much, even tamer than certain, uh, current, uh, certain PG-13 action film these days. I mean, Transformers 2, you had an entire, uh, entire battle, uh, carrier, entire carrier getting taken down. Um, you know, that means hundreds of soldiers dying. But you know, I mean, eighteen was kind of tame. I thought it was pretty tame, so I thought it carried the the TV show spirit pretty well. And for me, the action sequence didn't really lose the steam. I really liked that they didn't, um, uh, and pardon the pun, blow everything in the first half. Um, I think the final the final action sequence, which you say is kind of based on a shell game, is is too reliant on people being exactly where they are. Uh, I thought. Even then, um, I still had a lot of fun because the tanker, the way they did the tank, uh, I'll just say it involved a, a big tanker. It was so much better done. It keeps reminding me of um, Hyundai from last year, mm. which also had a major, major special effects sequence with tankers. But this one is so much more over the top and so much better put together. Not even on, not even just on a technical level, even on the whole idea of it. Is so much visual visually is so much better well put together mm. and it's so over the top that I thought it didn't outdo the tank scene but I thought it it ranked up there in terms of um over the topness and how in your face it is um and I can't really repeat this word often enough it's just fun mm. really. yeah I would agree you're listening to the East Screen West Screen podcast visit Comcast.com for more All right, I think that's going to wrap things up for our show this week. We should be back next week uh, to talk about, what will we talk about? Uh, the Breakup Club, I think we've got this week. Mm-hmm. And also you said, as you mentioned, you've seen The Green Zone. So that yes. looks like it'll be on the agenda for our West screen film this week, next week. Although I'm planning to see Hot Tub Time Machine. Yes, I will be watching And that I've heard night. great things about that, especially somebody who's sort of from my generation who grew up in the 80s. So I'm very excited to see that film. I'm surprised that they brought it to Hong Kong to be, you know, to be precise because that seems like such a, you know, culturally inclusive film that I didn't think it would make it over here. But I'm very glad it did. So 
Uh, we'll be back to talk about uh, some of those films next week. Um, so if you'd like to follow along with what we're doing, of course, you can always find us over at the website, uh, www.kongcast.com. And if you'd like to keep up with what we're doing on our day-to-day stuff, um, where you can follow us on Twitter. Kevin, you've got a Twitter account, so where can people get in touch with you? Uh, my Twitter name is the Golden Rock in one word, uh, so that would be www.twitter.com slash thegoldenrock. All right. And I have a Twitter account. You can find it over on the website, but I tend to not tweet that much about movie stuff. I tweet more about, like, geeky tech things and just geek stuff in general. I think my last tweet was about uh, Futurama, which is starting up as a TV series again next week, and I'm super excited about that. Um, But, yeah, if you're interested in geeky stuff and whatnot, you can follow me over there. And as always, you can listen to us on iTunes. And if you like what you hear, uh, we'd love for you to leave some feedback for us over on iTunes. If you've got uh, questions or comments and you'd like to uh, ask us on the show, you can send us an email. Email's available over on the website. Um, or you can email us directly at uh, concast at hotmail.com. And if you'd like to you have your question played on the air, you can send us a short little MP3 file. Uh, of your question and we'll play that on your air and discuss your question if you'd like until next time we will wish you good viewing and as always we will see you next week have a good plan everybody (laughs) are they a real Um, couple they deny it we don't know. No so one knows. That's probably like a Jillian and Ronald Chang thing. Yeah. See. Mm-hmm. So. Oh no, no. You mean Charlene? Oh, Charlene. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Maybe Jillian. Uh, Who knows? <laughs> or uh, they are they twins, twins, right? <laughs> or uh, like a Steffi, Steffi, Alex Fong thing. You know, Steffi, Alex Fong wedding has been rumored for the last oh, couple. Weeks. Don't tell me that. Sorry. That's gonna ruin my day. Yeah. Well, your no, days, your days are about to end, so it's no. okay. <laughs> I'm gonna, you know, if that's true, I'm gonna sh- go out in the street and shout in William Shatner voice like he did in Wrath of Khan. Fong! Fong! <laughs> <laughs>